The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. Before he does, we're going to have our Bible reading. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to invite Lizzie to come and do that, please. Morning, church. We're reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. I'm reading from the NIV version. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, just have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Thanks, Lizzie. Why don't we welcome Jim this morning? Thank you. So you're the group who sleeps in, is that it? <laughs> and did you all, were you able to have a nice breakfast or you didn't have time for breakfast, some of you? Didn't have time for it, you just got here. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, so thank you again for having us and uh, it's good for us to stop and uh, meet together. Uh, with God's word, uh, Hill just leaned over to me and said, we're running five minutes behind, you can take an extra 15 minutes. <laughs> Let me pray. Uh, it's important as we come, we, we, we do things a lot out of routine, don't we? Uh, but we still come, we, we're coming to encounter God, to meet God wherever we are. Uh, so let's still our hearts and ask him to speak to us. Lord God, you are our father, and as your kids we want to come and acknowledge that you are a good father. You want the very best for us. You want us to grow and to become mature. You want us to be healthy. Uh, we thank you that you've given us so many things. You've given us brothers and sisters to encourage us. You have given us your word. You've given us your spirit. And you have given us Jesus himself. And we pray now that as we come and think, we will do more than think that we will allow you to touch our hearts and then to touch our lives 
so that we'll not just be informed, but we will be transformed so that we will become men and women who are a little bit more like Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. This morning we're going to think about uh, the spiritual discipline of submission. I want you to just think for a moment about what this word might mean to you. When you hear the word submission, what emotion or what thought does it create? Uh, And it will depend very much on what your experience has been. It will depend on your background, depend maybe on your family background, uh, depend on whether you're male or female maybe, how you respond to this word of submission. And the question I want us to grapple with this morning is your understanding of submission, is it shaped more by your upbringing or whether you're male or female or your cultural background or is it actually shaped by some sort of spiritual dimension? Because hopefully as we go through that we'll be starting to see that when we use the word submission we can use it in many different ways and we need to be thinking What does Jesus mean when he calls us to be people who are submissive? Now for many people the whole concept of submission obviously is a very ugly, painful word. Uh, We've been reminded with uh, Lauren and uh, with uh, International Women's Day uh, that we have a whole part of our community who are often affected uh, in an ugly way by submission. And so for many people who are what they see in these submissive relationships... Uh, they, they don't do it by choice, uh, they maybe feel weak, they feel vulnerable, they are the people who are marginalised, they are people who often who are exploited, they might be the people who are being used, uh, they uh, have no choice uh, but to live in that sort of relationship where they are dominated by another person or a system that is always pushing them down. And for many people in our world that is what submission is all about. Uh, So that's for the person who is being uh, pushed down and under submission. But for the person who exercises that power, it might be quite a different sort of emotion. And so for for some people who who are in positions of power, they might uh, really enjoy the fact, I'm in control. Uh, I'm able to manipulate and and to affect someone else's life. Uh, I can make this person do and function this particular way. And so there is a sense of uh, comfort in being in control, having power, uh, making people do uh, maybe what they don't want to do but what you want them to do. And, and, And when submission acts in these ugly ways, it then sometimes can create some very negative emotions. Uh, For some people there is a sense of anger. Uh, For others, it might be a sense of bitterness or resentment. Uh, For some, they need to fight back so that they might find some sort of freedom. Uh, For others, they think, well, I've just got to obey and uh, disobey and be somewhat rebellious so that I might uh, somehow discover my rights. But I wonder what your picture of submission is. Uh, Maybe this is what you think submission is like. Uh, So here you have two people. Uh, In this case, one is obviously stronger than the other. Uh, One's under control of another. One's desperate. I'm just looking at the picture. He's actually biting the other guy. Uh, So uh, he's still got a little bit of power. Uh, But you see, that's 
That's forcing on someone else, isn't it? And that's part of the imagery when we talk about submission and if we pull back from submission is that's what we're thinking of. Or maybe if you're exercising control, you enjoy that kind of stuff. But again, I want to challenge and say, well, in fact, that's not how we should be living out submission. I want you to be thinking how maybe where you are and you have experienced submission in a way that is not pleasant. Maybe it's at work. And maybe you have a boss who treats you with little respect. Uh, Maybe you are forced into doing things that you don't really want to do. Uh, Maybe it's in a family situation and there's some domineering figure that controls the whole family. Maybe as a wife, you have a husband who doesn't treat you with respect. But I also want to challenge those of you who have some sort of authority where you are. Maybe you're the person at work and you switch from being this lovely Christian man at work or or even woman and when you go to work you become the dictator and you control everyone else within the office or the, the place that you are. Maybe you are the person within your family circle who always gets his or her own way because somehow you pull everyone into line. Or maybe you are the person in a relationship that so dominates that other person that you make them do things that they don't want to do. So as we think through submission, they are the sort of questions that we need to be thinking of. One writer, maybe some of you have read his book, Richard Foster, he's written a book on uh, the spiritual disciplines and he says this, nothing can put people into bondage like religion and nothing in religion has done, I think there's, I somehow have got that wrong. Nothing in religion has done more to manipulate and destroy people than a deficient teaching on submission. What he's saying is that some of the ugliest places in our communities happen within churches that claim to be Christian in how they understand this view of submission. I had a friend who, a woman came to see her from another church where she was being abused by her husband. And when she went to see her leadership team within, the, within her church, she was simply given the advice, well, you need to be submissive to your husband. What an appalling piece of spiritual advice to give. But you see, sometimes that's, that's how we function even within churches. Uh, within leadership structures, there are leaders, and you are blessed that you have leaders who aren't like this, but there are leaders who say, I am the leader, I am your pastor, I am your elder, I am your, your connect group leader, therefore you'll do what I say. And so there is this sense of, of power that people enjoy by, have, by having some sense of authority. I'm sure we are aware of churches that are very strict and narrow and legalistic and, and even cultic in how they function. And they function like that because they twist this teaching on uh, submission and authority. You see, one of the things that we can always do is to take something from the Bible and to take something that is good and to twist it and to use it for our own sinful means. And therefore a person, say a man as a leader or a man as a husband, can say, well, the Bible talks about authority and leadership, therefore you will submit to me. 
and not really understand. You see, taking something that is good and twisting it is actually simply feeding something sinful within us. And I think this area of uh, spiritual uh, submission deals with an issue that we all struggle with, our pride and our need to look after ourselves. And so as we explore submission, hopefully God will start peeling away some of these layers. One of the things that we, we get confused is that there is authority and then there is authoritarianism. And so in a well-functioning group of people in an organisation, at work or at school, at university, in a culture, in a nation, uh, we have authority structures. We need authority. And, uh, and so we need to acknowledge those authorities. But power can also go to people's head and power can call people, cause people to become authoritarian. And so we get those two things confused. And so we might think of authoritarian leaders and countries which are simply dictatorships. But dictatorships also occur within churches and within family circles and within work situations. As we think of Jesus this morning, he was a man who exercised authority. Over and over again, people, as they listened to his teaching, were amazed and they said, we haven't heard authority like this. But he wasn't authoritarian. We're a diverse group of people here this morning. And we are shaped by our diversity and our family backgrounds and our cultural backgrounds. For some of us, if we come from a white Anglo sort of background, Aussie background, when we hear submission... We react to that because most Aussies don't like authority. No, we drive a little bit faster than what the rule it's, it's guidelines. The speed limits are guidelines. <laughs> don't know, who's your friend here? Dash? Uh, we sort of bend the rules a little bit. There is something within us, and it's a great part, I think, of being Australian, that there is a certain degree of being a little bit anti authoritarian. But there is a bad part to it too. And so for some of us, as soon as we hear the word submission, we loathe it. For some of you, you have come from cultural backgrounds where that's just part of how society functions. Uh, 15, 20 years ago, I, the first time I went to Bangladesh, uh, I couldn't get over how people would keep asking me how old I was. And I wasn't quite sure whether they wanted to give me a birthday present or what it was, but, but I realised that what they were wanting to know was, was I older or younger? And so in their Bangladeshi society, the issue of authority and submission depended very much on your age. Just obvious, I thought I was older than they were, but nevertheless, um, they, they, that, that to them was really important. Hill and I have got a good friend, uh, Joshua, who's a Korean. Uh, he's uh, grown up in Korea, was, uh, did his theological education here, and is now working in a rural English-speaking little church. And so there is this cultural conflict that goes on. But Joshua shared with us that one of the struggles that he has as he's moved from a very structured Korean culture to coming into an Aussie culture 
his Korean friends, and particularly his fellow past Korean pastors in, uh, in Sydney, are now accusing him of being too Aussie. Uh, and his Aussie friends are saying, well, you're still Korean. And that's, that's sort of his dilemma. But Joshua says to us, no, 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 I'm, I'm choosing not to be Korean and I'm choosing not to be Aussie because you've got it wrong too. I'm choosing to understand what Jesus says about leadership and submission. And, and, and for us, it's been a challenge, hasn't it? Because he's saying to us that Christian culture is far bigger than whatever our cultural backgrounds are. And so we, we force people into submission and it could be on the basis of gender. And so in many times if, if we're male, we think that we have rights over females and if you're female, you're, you're sort of somehow uh, inferior. In some places, even within our own culture in Australia, uh, depends whether you are rich or whether you are poor, what suburb you live in or what school that you went in, all these things sometimes blatantly, sometimes subtly, cause us uh, to somehow submit to those who claim to be over us. For some, it's the position that you have. Uh, we've already talked about leadership uh, within an organisation or within a church. Uh, for some, it is the matter of age. So let's look at some areas then of how this submission thing works. The first thing I want to say is that true submission is seen in Jesus. So as we are thinking of this word, we, we, we've already explored that many of us shape our idea of what submission is by our family upbringing or our cultural upbringing. But as we encounter Jesus, we see a, here is a man with authority, but who exercises that authority in a radically different way. And so as we think then about Jesus... We need to ask ourselves the question, what view shapes my view on authority and leadership and submission? Is it my family or is it the gospel? Is it my cultural upbringing or is it the gospel? Is it my gender or is it the gospel? Is it my age or is it the gospel? Is it my position or is it the gospel? They are the sort of questions that we need to, to reflect on. And so in Jesus then, we see that everything that he did was affected by his attitude of submission. Think for a moment about his, his birth. We read that he was the one at the very beginning of creation. He brought all things into being by his word of power and he continues to hold together all these things currently by his word of power and he becomes <coughs> God with skin on. Bev and I have been blessed uh, with a little two-week-old granddaughter uh, for those of you who are older, uh, it is far better being a, a grandparent than a parent, let me tell you. But somehow you have to go through the parent stage to become a grandparent. Uh, but the incredible thing is she's our, our third one uh, and we, 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 all of us just keep saying, oh, you, you forget how small they are. They are tiny. She's got this big buffet of a brother who's three and a bit rough and tumble and, and giving her a hard time. But here she is in incredibly fragile and vulnerable. That was Jesus. That was submission to his father and submission to us. His whole life was about submission. Remember the, the foot washing story. He's the king and he's saying, no, 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 I didn't come so that you would serve me and bow down and scrape to me, but I came that I might serve you. And he models 
true leadership is he gets down on the, the floor and he, and he washes dirty, stinky feet. He says, that's what submission is all about. And when he goes to the cross, the, the, the cross was this sign of ridicule and of failure. But again, as we're reminded around the Lord's table, it's a sign of submission and willing, willingness that he might serve us and become our brother, become our redeemer, become our saviour. And so that he is able to say that he's hanging on the cross. Uh, he surrendered his will. What was that? I give up my spirit. It was a sign of submission. He kept saying to his father, not my will but yours be done as he, as he grapples and he struggles with the pain of what he would rather do himself and what he wants to do for his father. That's submission. That's submission. And so Jesus then models for us what it means to live this submissive life but how to be a leader at the same time. Secondly, I want us to see that true submission flows from the heart. Uh, you've been doing for a few weeks now. How many weeks have you been doing? Spirits? You can't remember? Yeah, six weeks? It's great when your preachers can't even remember how many they've done. So, you know, if you can't remember, that's okay too. <laughs> but you've been looking at topics such as uh, the spiritual practice of simplicity and of uh, uh, meditation and of prayer and of solitude and so forth and I hope that what you've you've started to see that doing these that we don't do these things so that we might get some sort of merit with God we don't do these things that we might find favor with God we don't do these things so that God might bless us more but we do these things because something has changed in here that becomes natural for us to do the spiritual practices are the fruit of what God is doing in here. The spiritual practices are the outworking of what God has been working within our lives. And so we learn to become more submissive. It's not necessarily natural for us. Both from our personalities and from our cultures, we might react to it. Or we might do it in an artificial way, but Jesus says, when it flows from the heart, we start practicing submission. And I think these practices, one of the, the purposes God has given is to simply counter that natural sin that we have, the sin of pride, the sin of need of, of looking after myself, to be submissive to others. Uh, I, I told the story, some of you have heard this story uh, from the earlier service, but there was a church who had a pastor that uh, was, a, was he had a servant heart. He was just one of those lovely, godly, gracious men who led his church well. And the church thought that they would like to affirm him and acknowledge him by one day they got up and they gave him this big badge which said, the world's most humble pastor. And they prayed for him and they sent him off. And he came back next Sunday wearing the big badge so that everyone could see so, of course, one of the elders had to get up and take the badge off him because, <laughs> you see, what he did was he revealed his heart, didn't he? He revealed his heart. The, uh, the whole area of submission isn't something, or humility, not something that we achieve, but it's a heart attitude we cultivate. One of the, uh, the, the passages, and maybe you thought I might have uh, used that to read from this morning, is from Ephesians chapter 5. And it's the notorious passage that talks about and says, Wives, 
submit to your husbands. Now, it says a whole lot more than that, but we think that's all that it says. But in this passage about relationships, it talks about wives, it talks about husbands, it talks about children, it talks about servants, and it talks about masters. Now, I want you to try and understand what Paul was actually doing in the first century culture. In the first century, if you were a woman, a a woman and and a wife, they sort of are the same a little bit, aren't they? But you can be a woman and not a wife, you know what I mean. Uh, If you were a woman or you were a wife, you were naturally under the power and control of someone else. You were just naturally submissive. You, you didn't choose to be submissive. That's just how it functioned. If you were a child, uh, even until a hundred years ago in our culture, Western culture, you were to be seen and not heard. Good, great practice sometimes. I think. <laughs> uh, if you were a slave, again, you had no rights. You, know, you had a boss and you were just to be submissive to that boss. So why is it that Paul can say to these people in a culture of domination and oppression, wives, submit to your husbands, kids, submit to your parents, slaves, submit to your masters. If you look at it carefully, in each one of those things, he says, submit to them as to the Lord. Wives, submit as to the Lord. Children, submit as to the Lord. Slaves, submit as to the Lord. But then... The other radical thing that he does, he picks what are seen to be the authority figures in their society and he says, husbands, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are to love your wife as Jesus loves his people. Parents, you are not to be like all the other parents in your society, but you are to love and affirm and nurture your children. Masters, If you're a Christian master and you've got slaves or servants, you're not to treat them like every other master or boss does, but you are to model something about the life of Christ in how you do that. And and so suddenly it becomes radical, doesn't it? Uh, Many years ago, our kids now are, um, the youngest is 30, so we're ancient. Uh, But we were, um, my wife's far younger than I am. It's true, she's younger than I am. Uh, we were driving home one day and the kids had been Sunday school and they were all in the back and they're younger. And so and I said, well, you know, guys, wh- what did you learn in Sunday school this morning? And so, oh, yeah, we, we learned a Bible verse. I said, oh, what was the Bible verse? And, they, and uh, one of them piped up and said, parents, obey your children. <laughs> well... You see, somehow they twisted it a little bit, but let me tell you, 30-odd years later, it's much the same. (laughs) Another quote which says this, Submission is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. You see? We can only have a submissive heart, a servant heart, when we're comfortable in ourselves. When we feel that we are being used or exploited or dominated, there is that desperate need that we need to look after ourselves and to protect ourselves. But if we are secure in someone else or something else, and I hope that other person is Jesus, we then have this freedom to be in charge 
but to do it in a way that is submissive. To be a leader and to be submissive. To be under the authority of someone else and to have a submissive heart at the same time. And so another quote from Richard Foster says that we are commanded to live the life of submission because Jesus lived a life of submission, not because we are in a particular place or station in life. You see, authority doesn't come from our gender. Authority doesn't come from our age. Authority doesn't come from the position that we have. There is this difference and this twist that cuts across all of our cultures. And then thirdly, and I'm just going to give you a couple of quick points here, the true submission is seen in a surrendered heart. So if we package this together, we see that Jesus models for us submission. He has authority, he's a leader, he's a king, but he acts with submission. If something happens in our hearts, and that we have allowed God to come in and to start shaping and to start changing us, and that we start feeling comfortable within this new relationship that he's created, then submission will flow out of that. And there are four, four ways. There's more, but let me just give you four ways that when God changes your heart and he takes you like a piece of clay and he starts moulding you and shaping you from the person that you were and he's going to fashion you into the person that you are becoming and that the person that you will become, this is what starts happening within your heart. Firstly, a surrendered heart welcomes God's Son. I don't know where you are with God this morning. Uh, maybe you are a person who is still struggling. Uh, maybe you're somewhat sitting on the fence. Maybe there are issues where uh, you are resisting uh, God calling you to himself. Uh, maybe you've taken that step of faith. If you have taken that step of faith, you know that there probably was a struggle of surrender and submission because you have to acknowledge someone else who is over you. And so every time we use that term Lord and call Jesus Lord, it's not just an easy word that we're saying or singing, we're actually bowing the knee in submission and surrender to him. We're acknowledging that someone has a right to be over us, not to dominate us, but to love us. We see also a surrendered heart welcomes God's word. Uh, one of the things is that we, we all think that we know more than we really know. Uh, I've discovered uh, as I've got older, the more I learn, the less I know. The more I read and study my Bible, the less I know. Uh, those of you who are younger, you're going to discover this sometime. You know, you know it all now. That's okay. But there will come a time when, you know, the oldies just smile and say, yeah, you'll learn. Um, but, you know, we, we've all been there. Uh, but the more that we dig in, the more we discover, the more that we have to, to keep on learning. And one of the things that sometimes with the Bible, there are places in there that just don't make sense. There are bits that we might write off and say, well, you know, that was 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago or that was in a totally different culture. But God may be through those passages also speaking to us. It takes surrender to say, this is your word, Father. And it is your word not just back then, but it is your word today. It is your word not just to the Apostle Paul, but it is your word to me today. It takes submission. 
to listen and to hear what God is saying. It takes surrender to become a person who is teachable, a person who is like that lump of clay. As the word of God and the spirit of God comes upon it, it starts getting moulded and changed. You can't grow spiritually without that, same, that sort of submission. A surrendered heart is one who welcomes God's will. Uh, I'd love to hear more about uh, Philip and Vicky. You know, and I can just imagine the struggle that they've been going through. They've been part of this church for a long time, uh, trying to work out uh, whether they should move, where they should move to, which church that they should go to, how to be part of the community. You see, those things are challenging. But I sense in what I've just heard, the brief things from Hill, is that they haven't just woken up one morning and say, oh, let's stop going to PCC and let's just save a fair bit of petrol and uh, the toll and everything else and we'll just go to church somewhere near St Mary's. They haven't done that. They've grappled, they've wrestled. They've probably been asking the question, Father, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to be? What is the community that you want us to be in? That comes from a surrendered heart. The church in Philippi was a church that was struggling in welcoming people and a surrendered heart welcomes people. Here were a group of people we can see that even though it seemed to be a really, really good church, there were, you know, it was not a church like this. It was a church that had a few people that didn't get on terribly well together and a few little groups. Um, you know, there are a few churches somewhere out there like that. But this was a church that had some sort of, a couple of people were sort of creating a few divisions. And as Paul is addressing this, he does it in a very interesting way. He's simply saying, if you claim to be followers of Jesus and to be Jesus people, you're, you need to have Jesus' lives in the way that you treat and relate to people. And so he says to them, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We don't know what the problem was. And to Paul, that wasn't important. But what he's talking about is, you've lost your heart attitude. Somewhere in whatever this issue is, and you're, 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 you're disagreeing, maybe you've got a, a great new building program that is going on, and uh, you've got one person planning a, a, a auditorium for 5,000 people and another one who says let's just do it for two or 300 and, and all of these divisions and conflicts that are, that are going on. It doesn't really matter. What Paul is saying is there is something wrong with your hearts. And so he's saying that if you understand true submission and you are submitting to one another and then he goes on, gives us that wonderful picture of Christ, the one who is eternal in heaven became human took on the form of a servant, humbled himself, even to the point of death. You see, that is submission. Going back to that Ephesians 5 passage, uh, we often zero in on those few verses if they suit us. Wives, submit to your husbands. But the interesting thing is that we, because of the way our Bibles get broken up, oftentimes the, the section starts at verse 20, when it should really start at verse 21. 
Because verse 21 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's got nothing to do with you're male or female. It doesn't matter whether you're a child, whether you're the parent. It doesn't matter whether you're the master. It doesn't matter whether you're the slave. He says that if you are in Christ, have this attitude of submitting to one another, and you do it not just because of the other person, but it's a spiritual activity that you do it out of reverence for Christ. The surrendered heart has these qualities of humility, of service, all those one another passages, caring for one another, loving one another, serving one another, affirming one another, encouraging one another. Uh, the surrendered heart is concerned for um, unity. A surrendered heart of a leader is about being a servant and not being the boss. A surrendered heart creates community in the places that we are. Uh, in this other quote, we've got two final quotes. Submission is not about authority. And it is not about obedience. It is about relationships of love and respect. That changes submission, doesn't it? It changes from our cultural, social attitudes of what we think submission is to something quite different. One of the great Protestant reformers of the 16th century was Martin Luther. Uh, Luther lived, uh, uh, he he grew up in a church uh, which you had no rights uh, and he's a priest and as a priest within that church, he had no rights. The church was all-powerful. Society was all-powerful, was highly structured and organised uh, in the way that it functioned. And one of the things that Luther found and rejoiced in was, was this whole issue of Christian freedom and liberty. And he wrote a lot about it. And so in this quote he says, A Christian is perfectly free Lord of all. You don't need to have the priest over you. You don't need to have the Pope over you. You don't need to have someone else controlling and dictating how you live and what you shall think. And so he talks about this absolute liberty and freedom. But he balances it and he says, but a Christian is perfectly dutiful, servant of all, subject of all, subject to all. Where did that flow from? That flows from a heart of submission. And so he didn't go around like a dictator saying, well, as a Christian, I'm absolutely free. I can do as I please. I can say whatever I want to. I can eat what I want to. I can drink what I want to. I can treat you how I want to. He says, because I'm free, I'm free to become a servant. Let me close with a story of a man many of you maybe don't know. His name is George Matheson. He was born in Scotland in 1842. He was a brilliant young student uh, and uh, he was clearly attractive to uh, women and uh, a a young woman was attracted to him and they became engaged in his late teens. Uh, By the time he had turned 20, he was starting to lose his eyesight. And as he was progressively losing his eyesight, the woman who once loved him and wanted to live for the rest of her life with him, said, I cannot be a wife to a blind person. And she broke off the engagement. And so that, of course, was absolutely devastating in so many ways to young George Matheson. Uh, Matheson was blessed. He had a sister who loved him, who cared for him, and then who nurtured him uh, over the uh, next few years where he became uh, went to university, went to theological education, he became a university lecturer, he became a pastor, he wrote hymns, uh, he pastored in a church with some 1,500 people. 
and he was able to minister to them in spite of his blindness. And after quite a number of years, his sister, whom he depended on so much, she fell in love with someone and got married. On the day of her wedding, he was so heartbroken and distraught that everything had been ripped away. He wrote a, a hymn that you need to go and look it up, Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go. Apparently he just sat down and it just spilled out. And he was a man who his fiancée had deserted him. It felt like his sister had deserted him. But there was still something happening in the heart of this man. He wrote that hymn, but he also wrote these words that seem so contradictory. Make me a captive Lord and then I shall be free. As he surrendered himself to God, it was like God was going to take him over, but there he found his freedom. Force me to render up my sword. Stop me from being the person who is always looking after myself and taking pity on myself. As I render up my sword, then conqueror I shall be. When I sink within life's alarms, when my fiancé leaves me, when my wife, uh, uh, sister leaves me, when by myself I stand, imprison me, lock me up within your arms. It seems again oppressive, but he says, and strong shall be my hand. Submission in our cultures seems oppressive. But I think as we start delving into it and understanding it, in fact, it is liberating for us, but it is liberating for communities. Because true submission starts thinking about other people, caring for other people. True submission can only start happening as we care for others is when we know and are comfortable in submission to the Lord Jesus. And as we have bowed the knee to him and we discover something of our Father's heart, then we are able to serve others, to care for others, to minister for others. In our society, submission can be really ugly and painful and we need to fight against those, those ugly aspects of submission. But in what we say and how we live, let us learn in gentleness what it means to be submissive people in a world that is not really submissive. It's hard to learn to be submissive. But the verse that we need to go with that will encourage us at the end of our reading in Philippians says this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's not about you gritting your teeth and trying harder. But it's remembering that it is God who is working in you, moulding you and shaping you so that you learn in a healthy way to practice submission. Let's just take a few moments before we rush off again, for those of you who haven't had your breakfast yet, who need to have breakfast. Uh, but what, what are you going to take away from here? Uh, even just one thing. What has God said? Maybe you are in a position where you feel that you are being oppressed and you don't enjoy freedom. Is it possible even in that that you can discover some sort of humility and this spiritual sort of submission? Or maybe you need to break out of it and do something. Maybe you are in a leadership authority position. How are you showing and modelling the servant heart of Jesus? Let's pray.
Father, help us to be people who look not to ourselves or our society for how we should live, but that we would keep looking back to the Lord Jesus as the model, as the example, as the one who empowers, as the one who shows what true humanity is meant to be like. Help us to remember that uh, we live in this broken, fractured world and even though we have so many wonderful men and women and uh, many are role models for us, whether they believe or not, that we, we look to and we, we are thank you and we thank you for them. Yet nevertheless, all of us are somehow flawed and we all walk with a limp. But Lord God, we pray that as we look to Jesus, as we see how he functioned, that we would learn what it means to truly be submissive, to have servant hearts, to put others first, to not just care for ourselves. Help us to be people who, who see the vulnerable and the needy and the marginalised around us. Help us to be those who not just within our church community but maybe at work or within our neighbourhoods or our communities that we see the downtrodden and the poor, that those our system rides roughly over and help us to reach out and to lift them up and to give them hope. Father, thank you for speaking to us this morning and we ask that as we go away from here that we will be people who know that we have allowed you to speak to us. Help us to put into practice this week some of these things that we have learnt Help us to be people who live well for Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. Why don't we thank Jim? It's fantastic.